I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I don't like blood and guts, but I love them when they're lengthily discussed. The final, I want to take that again because I may have spoken before I recorded. Oh, sure. Yeah. So what they might have heard was, in fact, I'm not going to take it again because now Ooh. we're talking about, they might have heard Elkham and they're thinking exciting. like, this is a podcast about Elks coming. And now they're hearing the explanation and they're like, whoa, here we go. Welcome to the final episode of the season of Yuppie Nightmares number two, which in itself has been a perplexing season. I'm Matt Gorley, and this is with Gorley and Rust. And I'm uh, uh, Paul Rust, and this is with Gorley and Rust. Um, it's been... Um, do you think you would say, if you were like a film critic, you would say, it's off? It, it's been very perplexing in the multiplexing this season. I think I would, my God. I think you should. Well, don't uh, you agree? if you did it. <laughs> <laughs> don't you agree, though? Because these are some real oddities, and you think... I think both of us thought the yuppie nightmare genre is a deep bench and there's a lot to pull from, <laughs> but I think there's not as many of the quintessential types yes. as you may have think. Yeah. For instance, we were trying to figure out after watching Disclosure, if we'd ever covered a movie on this podcast where someone didn't die, only to follow it up the next week with another movie where nobody dies. Yeah, and the big twist, if anything, is like, I didn't kill them, I just took pictures of them. You're like, well, okay. I, yeah. uh, I thought they were going to find a bunch of bodies under the floor. No, nobody died. There wasn't really a twist. That was the twist. And the real twist is that this is more of just a mood piece drama than it is really a little a character study. Yeah, I mean, I, di I didn't dislike it. I just didn't know. Hey, uh, my headline, I really, really, really really <gasps> liked it. Wow, okay, good. Yeah, I can't say I loved it. Yeah. But Really, 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 for really lights. That's as close to love, love in a movie as a. So it's like if A and A minus is love, this is a B plus. Yes. My mine is I liked it a good deal. So what's that? That's a B. It's a B or maybe B, in B terms minus. Of, I'm not saying it's a or B maybe movie. A C plus. No, I think it's a B. It's just B in terms of how much I liked or loved it. But not a B movie. No, I think it's a better than a B movie. Yeah. It's a well-made movie. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, the uh, it's funny what you were talking about. You know this this batch of the yuppie nightmares. I would you know maybe characterize them as this season's yuppie nightmares were. Rule, 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 rule breakers. Yeah, yeah. They're all, they all broke the rules. And this one that I thought broke the big rule was just like, they're past um, Karen, uh, what Michael Douglas is up to now. Yeah. Like, he's just as, uh, he has uh, no backstory. He's just cheating. And, and, it's uh, cut to the chase, yeah. Yeah, but it's told now fully from the perspective of the, the kook. Right. It'd be like if Fatal Attraction was more like you follow Glenn Close around and you could give a shit what's happening mm. to Michael Douglas. So that felt like the big rule break of this one was like what it chose to focus on or have you uh, empathize with. Or yeah, with. and even so much so that the director has said that if you were a popular person, you sympathize, sympathize with the family in this. If you were a bit of an outsider, you might even go so as far as to sympathize with Robin Williams in this. That's interesting, you know. It to me, it seems like the most similar, and it's not. It's by far not as good as Taxi Driver. But my favorite thing about Taxi Driver is the thing of like um, gets you to care, or mm. movies like Taxi yeah. Driver. You find compassion for a person, and then when they start to do things you don't agree with, it's too late. The train has already left the station. You care about them like and yeah. so now you're just like oh fuck i'm on this like it's a train of dread you're just like it's, it's like you yeah. know it's going to a bad place and but you care about them enough now to stick with them so that's probably like what i liked most about it but i do think like there was some stuff of um not to compare it to taxi driver but always but it's just like those character studies of the person who's like the outsider to your point about what the director said, you're either like, I identify with the family cause I'm not a fucking loon. Yeah. But like, um, in terms of the movie, I think the way it's operating is wants you to sympathize with him to a point. Right. Mm-hmm. I think so. When did it click off for you where you're like this guy? No, no, no. Oh no, no, no. I guess it's a it's a big no no or a new no no. It's an old no no. When when he's taking people's photos, I mean that's it's not a making like, doubles, making doubles, and putting yeah. them up on the wall. That's that's a big red flag, I'd yeah. say. Well, um, look at this, but, Matt. We jumped into this all crazy. Like I wanted to started asking you questions, <laughs> started sharing how I felt. What are you, Eric LaSalle, interrogating me? This is very much like the uh, Eric uh, LaSalle opening of this. So yeah. eventually we'll cut back later. That's right. This conversation. Which first. was suggested, thank you to Brantley's notes, yes. by Francis Ford Coppola, that if you want this to be more of a thriller, get into it. So they took that from the end and put it onto the beginning to let, at least let you know where it was headed because I think it is a, a slow burn. And again with Brantley, exactly, and with Brantley's notes... Um, Brantley's Palmer's notes about uh, what David Fincher said, uh, where he was like, when he read the script, he was like, I don't buy him going into the house Mm -hmm. and putting on their clothes and walking around. And he was like, Mark Romanek, the director, writer, was like, I hear that. I still like it, though, so I'm just going to make it like a daydream. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that. Me too, yeah, yeah. But those two, to read those notes later was like, 
I had already had my thoughts and feelings about opening it with that and that daydream part and opening it, the movie with the, um, like the interrogation. I don't like it. I still don't yeah. like it. Yeah. Like now with the movie done, I was just like, because it's that, because they're trying to tell you that it's like going to go sinister. I'm like, you know, I would imagine as soon as a movie starts where a guy's like, I'd like to develop your photos personally if that's okay you're just like yeah. okay this is a time bomb waiting to go off <laughs> yeah it sort of spoils it by having him like sit across from the detective in a way it spoils it even almost in the wrong way because mm-hmm. you're kind of like he lives and he's it doesn't seem like he's coming in from some traumatic like cataclysmic thing what is going on? I don't know. No, this, no, this I agree your... with you. The only thing it helps like soften by having those cops is my l- probably least favorite thing about the movie is the last half hour when it, it starts following these two cops trying to track him down. Yeah. I'm like, I don't care about They haven't been around the movie. It was like, oh, I guess because uh, the detective showed up in the first five minutes, it seems less... Uh, or you know like it seems Uh less contrived because i'm like at least they introduced me to him earlier but uh the that that idea that of uh yeah you put that earlier to make it a thriller i think kind of cheapens the movie a little bit and brantley's notes said like it's sold in a film festival then peter rice at uh, uh the searchlight pictures fox searchlight was like now for the next 13 months, just keep editing it and make it sharper. Yeah, so, that's crazy. Um, and so it seemed like that happened. And then the note about whatever on the script level of making it a daydream, when that was happening, I did, once it was complete, I liked the daydream and I thought it was like a cool way of going about it. But when he started breaking in, um, I did think like, well, that's a leap. <laughs> so yeah. I was grateful for the daydream. Yeah. 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 There were a couple of little red herring moments where you get to have your cake and eat it too, where you think, oh, this guy's creepy, but do I believe this? And then yeah. it kind of achieves both effects pretty effectively, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, um, everybody agrees with this, that G- dream sequences usually kind of seem cheap, like, is there a difference between dream and fantasy? Though? Well, the daydream I liked because yeah. that like was suspenseful, like in a way that when you started realizing it was a fantasy, like when the family walked in, it just created like a weird moment of uh, uncanniness of yeah. like, what is happening? As opposed to the like, I didn't like the dream of the like bleeding of oh, the yeah, eyes yeah. and stuff. Cause yeah. It did occur to me, I'm like, oh, that usually happens probably when a screenwriter or filmmaker is like, you know, uh, we've been having to like do a lot of plot here and haven't really gotten anything creepy in. So like, uh, might as well have him wake up with (laughs) bloody eyes, Uh, (laughs) which is fine. Well, speaking of bloody eyes, I have no segue for that. So (laughs) this is with Gorley and Rust and you can visit our Patreon and you can get feature-length film commentaries. You can get mailbag episodes, mm-hmm. cozy tournaments. What is that? Join the Patreon and find out. <laughs> vid bits? What are those? Find the Patreon and find out. Right now, we're deep in the middle of the 12 vid bits of Christmas. Yes, we are. And it's it is been a real fun day. Flying. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, that's really, there's not a lot of business. If you yeah. subscribe at the baby xenomorph level, you get to watch live streams of our recordings as well as have your name read out on the show. Just, uh, subscribe at that level and email us at, uh, with Gorley and Rust at gmail.com and we'll read them as we will at the end of this episode. Fantastic. And that's business done friend. Cause this that's is awesome. like, it's like the last day of school for the year. Cause I we're going to be off for a little while though. Yeah. The Patreon will still be hopping. Oh yeah. The free and then, uh, hey, hey, make sure to stick around in January when uh, we'll be coming back with uh, oh, our old friend, Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Do- uh, yes, as my mother-in-law calls him, uh, Cannibal Lecter, but doesn't know she's doing a pun. Uh, I think um, I-, I knew somebody who pronounced Clarice as Carice. Carice. <laughs> my daughter's been obsessed with Rudolph lately and she keeps saying, you know, she- she's into you're this, you're that. You're doing that. You're like, you're Mario, you're Luigi, but she's, yes. you're Clarice, you're Clarice. And I keep thinking she's like Hannibal Lecter or something like that. But why is she saying you're- Oh, from Rudolph. That's Clarice's little girlfriend. I mean, Rudolph's little girlfriend. Rudolph has a yeah. little girlfriend named Clarice? Yeah. I forgot about that. I know. Oh, also my daughter took her tutu from the floor, pulled it over my head onto my neck, put my cheeks in her hands and went, you're perfect. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that's the holiday present right there. It was it was an all timer. Oh, that's nice. That's good. Uh, that's uh, like, uh, I, and this is universal enough that every parent probably experienced that. This of like laying in the dark and uh, just hearing a kid go, "I love you." Oh, it's nice. I haven't, just got, I haven't got one of those yet. No, no, no. Or you know, I, uh, <laughs> no, it's not your fault. It's my daughter's fault. Well, I'll she's fix not a, that. Has she said "I love you" once? So you in, can't expect her in, to say it in the in goddamn only dark. Only in response. It's <laughs> okay. <laughs> but once she starts throwing the "I love you's out, you'll get them, buddy. Don't worry. Okay. Okay. I wonder if that's inherited because the Gorleys are big "I love you" family. The Lunds, with, with the exception of Amanda, are not big "I love you" family. So I wonder which she'll inherit. Yeah, my side uh, is oh, uh, not necessarily. I don't know what's going on in the whole Rust family, but with the Rust period, me, the new oh, Paul, yeah, uh, too much. I love you. Me too, too many. I me love too. you. Too many. Yeah. Um, my parents, the amount of times they've gotten me on a phone going like, "I just want you to know, you guys oh. have been great oh. parents, and when you're gone, I will miss you because I love you." It's like a oh. Because I've heard too many stories of the people being like, I never told the yeah, old man. Right. And for my parents, it's like, yes. Uh, <laughs> you okay, told the old you man. Told you I'm told a- the old man when he was a young man. Now he's old and he's heard it. Well, it's probably, yeah. He's also very like, much. Okay, whatever this means for you, son. <laughs> like, do what you have to do. No, good for you. Why do you think I'm dying? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> do you know something I don't? Yeah. Well, you're obviously erring on the right side, you know? Yeah, but then eventually you have the um, uh, this uh, was somebody before I moved to Los Angeles. Eventually, um, uh, you have somebody go like um, too many PDAs to you. Someone yeah. who they're wrong, <laughs> <laughs> and they they good good riddance for no, them staying there. It's right, you know uh, the thing that I was. Um, you know, everybody has those hot-faced moments where you remember something and you're like, oh, oh yeah. You know, and I, did that. I was thinking about it during the 
firing scene uh, of this. Yeah. Because I was like, I've never gotten called in and fired, mm. but I did have an experience where somebody said, this job is continuing with this staff and I'm not, you're not continuing on. The most passive aggressive firing ever. Yeah. The, the job was, I was a, a video logger and transcriber. Uh, um, I only bring you this up, but I, just I wasn't imagining talking about this. I was just uh, remembering a, an embarrassing moment where he was like, um, "It was I was a job transcribing and logging video footage for reality shows." That's right. Yeah. Uh, so one was a uh, face the family, and it was like a meet the parents reality show. Okay. Um, it, you know Matthew Perry, R.I.P., who recently passed away. His family did it where his daughter his daughter his sister dated a guy and brought them home to meet Matthew Perry's parents but he's not in it and so there was just like b-roll footage of framed photos in their like ranch house of like Matthew Perry oh, like with weird. the family to be like see it's yeah. proof so I was working on a show like that and once uh, like six months later I was walking by like walking near the UCB and uh she like walked by and it's like you think you went to camp with them or something because I, I was like watching all this footage god I'm getting so off the point I'm sorry so that show ended after eight weeks and they were going to start a new reality show and the guy who was my boss said this is done we're continuing on I'm not going to ask you back to transcribe and log video footage uh -huh. and it was the Closest I've been to like fired. And uh, he said, because you take too many calls, man. You take phone calls and I hear you take phone calls. And I was like, oh, that's like being like, that's so embarrassing to be like told that. I was like, eh. but okay. you didn't know. Because it's impolite. Like, uh -huh. I'm realizing I'm being a fuck up at work, but uh -huh. also a fuck up in life of just uh -huh. like, yeah, What's my problem? I'm a dude. This was like 2004. Okay, this is early in five. cell phone etiquette. You could say that. Yeah. But then I flashed on the job I worked before that was logging and transcribing. I found out the people who own the building nicknamed me Brillstein, as in Bernie Brillstein, because they would hear me take phone calls with my comedy friends talking about comedy and what we were going to do that night, like what sketches. <laughs> And like, are you going to get these costumes? I thought I was being quiet. Matt, it's truly like one of those, you can be a grown up and still have to yeah. grow, up, grow up. Yeah. So when he, heard, when he said that, I was like, oh, and that's like how I was called Brewsty. Oh boy, I got to shut the fuck up at work. I can't take phone calls anymore. What am I doing? This is a wake up call, Russ. Like, get it together. Oh. Now, in my defense, uh -huh. everybody, when they logged in, transcribed, you had it on these video machines. Half the time, literally half the time, it was part of the job. People would flip over and watch daytime television. It was just like, and the boss knew, but they looked the other way. I never did my daytime watching talk show. I was like, I'm not going to watch Maury. My Maury time <laughs> will be getting on the phone and taking my fun comedy calls with my friends to play in the sketch tonight. 
Oh, wow. So that guy fired me because he said I take too many comedy calls and I got to focus on reality TV. Like, where's my heart? Oh, God. You know, I think that's yeah, what Did you answer like, in the right place? Yeah, it's like basically you're excited about doing underground comedy when your job is here sort of thing. Matt, a year and a half later, I bump into this guy at a Halloween party and I'm wearing one of those uh, costumes that's like a big blanket. What were those things that was like a big blanket? A slanket? Uh, yeah, that a snuffy or something. They oh, snuggy? Snuggy. Yeah. I ran into this guy and I'm wearing a big snuggy and I had a had a couple acting jobs since then. Like that was my yeah. last job oh. like that. And he was like, well, <clears throat> I guess I was uh, wrong and you're right. It was like, so, but Why was he I was wrong, at a really though? bad place though too. Like I wasn't happy to be at that party and I was wearing a Snuggie. I was like, what's my fucking, like I was in a bad place so to have this guy come up and be like, Hey, you're in a good place. Oh. I'm like, no, I'm not. Get out of here, guy. The cosmos is a tilt. Oh my God. Sorry. Wow. That was a wild, uh, when you, not good wild story. When you watched Leo, uh, that movie and, and Leo's voice is based on Bernie Brillstein. Did it give you shivers? That's a Bernie Brillstein voice. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I did you watch Leo? I did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I enjoyed I, it. Yeah. Because I uh, for for the listeners, you mainly come here for prologue stories that also Leo talk. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I said to Matt, "Hey, saw the new Trolls movie. Pretty good. Saw Wish. Not so good. Was a little down." Then watched Leo and all my kid movie, uh, my heart was filled. I wow, loved it that, so much. That end song, When I Was 10, that one? Yeah. Amazing. That was good, Some, yes. Robert Smigel, who wrote and directed that, was on Conan, and he gave us all a bunch of Leo swag after, and I was able to bring home a Leo stuffed doll to Glenn when I got home, and she was over the moon. That is awesome. Well, I remember the day before you went into yeah, uh, you get to meet Robert Spiegel or that the, you were doing the interview. I had said, "Oh, I just watched Leo," and I started writing like a three paragraph DM to Robert Spiegel, right. and then I got too embarrassed, and I just like. You know, when you can delete words, first it goes letter, letter, word, yeah. word, yeah. sentence, paragraph. Like, it did that. I was just like, thank God, I never Life. sent it. it was, Sentiment. It was just too um, uh, sincere, but it was about my... And it was also, how do you ex express a love for somebody's career out in addition to Leo? Truly. But uh, so you, uh, what was the experience of... Well, I, I have that. here an, a Triumph used cigar from the session that he did that I just kind of smuggled away. Selfishly. Oh my god! Uh, so you got to I got have to... Triumph that rubbery like face near you. Oh yeah, and I got roasted by him. We all did. It was wonderful. Oh, it was wonderful. That is a he's a he's a legend. I, I I think I maybe I don't think I've ever said this on the pod once. I had an opportunity to like talk to him, uh -huh. but there was like um, he was talking to like four. Um, beautiful. It was like at a party, mm. and he was talking to like four beautiful women who were like admiring his work. And I was like, he doesn't want this fucking comedy nerd to be like the eighty-eight to eighty-nine season was sublime. Oh, he did say <laughs> yes. So you didn't? No. Well, see, you learned. You did grow up a little bit. 
Yeah, well, I, I guess I did it right, right, right. Maybe I did 2004, it. Paul, you would have been in there in your slanky, you know. Going. Taking a phone call with my friend being like, can you talk to my friend? We're both big fans. <laughs> I did that once to Hewell Hauser. I cock blocked him at a bar and got him to call my friend and I shouldn't have, you know. How did that do tell? Well, I, we were just at this bar at? in Hollywood and it's called Big Wangs. I've been to Big Wangs, yeah. Yeah, which as much as it may sound like it is not a gay bar. Although Hugh Hauser is gay and he seemed to be hitting on this nice man. And I was so excited to see him. I just kind of cock blocked him and went in and went like, you're Hugh Hauser. And he, he drives up in a convertible by himself and he goes, now, do you like me because you like me or do you like me because you like to laugh at me? He said that? <laughs> yeah. And I said, no, I like you. And my friend loves you. Whoa. <laughs> I sort of got bowled over by that like self-awareness. And then he goes, well, I just bought a home in Barstow on the way to Vegas called Volcania. And to drive to it, you got to spiral up a mountain shaped like a flying saucer. You all should come up sometime. Right on. I would be like, give me the address and directions. Pretty it's a please. famous house. Yeah. Oh, really? It, was yeah. like a- it looks like a UFO landed on a little mountain out in the middle of nowhere. Now, because I was going to say you could have done the... Uh, opposite of cock blocking you could have been doing some wingman in there i should have no I but that's what it could have unbeknownst to you yeah except you're going I, over like, there and being like hey we're big fans and he goes thanks oh did you know yeah i'm kind of a big deal i should have done that but instead i think i actually kind of like took him out of the the physical space to put him on the phone and it was it was just not a, a very generous thing to do. It was a I, selfish thing to do. <laughs> I cock blocked Hauser. And I I'll go to my grave with that shame. I'm sorry, Hauser. Gone before his time. Rest in peace. <gasps> One hour photo. One hour photo. <laughs> <laughs> so had you seen this before? No. Me either, yeah. And I'm glad you recommended it. Yeah. Uh, and I had never seen it before. You had never seen it, you said? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I. What kept me from it, I realized for low these 21 years, Matt, was the opposite of what the movie was. I thought it was going to be a little too edgelord. Yeah. Like... Ooh, isn't it quite something to see Robin Williams be, you know, ooh, and I went to jizz on all these pictures. Like, I yeah, just thought I it thought was going to so be... Too. Or I thought it was going to be cheap. Yes. Yeah. Cheap and dumb. Mm-hmm. And which, which I was hoping for in this round, ironically, later in life, when we're watching these movies, like, I have been actually jonesing a bit for just a good, pulpy... Yes. Yuppie Nightmare, which this is not as good as it is on its own. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I it, it's been one of the first movies that we've watched uh, in a few where I was like, not, I was engrossed. I got like pulled into the movie. I was like, in it, you know, like yeah. whatever you kind of hope for with a movie. And then the, it was done in 90 minutes. So it, yeah. it did... Uh, uh, engrossed me and I uh, oh my god I'm like so anytime uh, something's under two hours that yeah. tells a single story the yeah. thing that I thought was really cool was um, it is just about one idea one very yeah very yeah. simple 
Um, I mean, I uh, will sometimes, uh, uh, you know, preach that it's funny that everybody thinks a movie has to be the um, Joseph Campbell stuff Mm -hmm. because people love characters more than they love stories. I agree. And if you just present a, a character, characters in an interesting way, that's more often than not, will captivate an audience. I mean, you look like American Graffiti or something. That's just like a bunch of characters you really get enchanted by and want to like, so it doesn't have to be Star yeah. Wars or whatever. Yeah. I'm watching, of course I am, Slow Horses on Apple TV. And this third season is so good. And it's just all character driven stuff. Mm-hmm. And Like what? Like seeing how they're... Uh, just, they sometimes contradict themselves or do things that get in the way of who yeah they, just yeah. just how they interact and they're all a bunch of misfits and and mm-hmm. the writing's pretty darn good the acting's really great what's it about what's it what is this oh it's about it's a it's a place called Slough House which the MI5 call slow horses because they're all spies that have fucked up and gotten kicked out to this like reject building lucky and they Matt. Can, oh i know yeah. i know and so gary oldman plays the leader of them who he himself has been bumped down but he's a brilliant <sighs> spy who's just just reprehensible mean smelly awful man but loves his spies even though he treats them like shit and they're all miserable but it's it's funny this third season is so good that's yeah. so funny because I didn't know that was the name of the show. I know it is the Gary Oldman show on Apple oh, TV. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, and I because you previously admired Gary Oldman in it and stuff. I think when we were talking Bram Stoker, yeah, Dracula. and his George Smiley and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, right. So he's right. played two great spy masters now. Do you you seem to be more plugged into like Apple TV programming, like because. There's so many shows. This yeah. is not a knock on the platform or the shows or the people who make these shows. It's just an observation from my narrow yeah. point of view of just like, there's shows on there that I'm like, what? Oh, Three I seasons? know. What the, what's going on here? I, I didn't know. know this existed. Prime, too. Prime sent out there for your consideration thing yes. and a, a million shows I'd never heard of. Yeah. Friends? <laughs> Game of... Trones? Is it pronounced like the River Thames? <laughs> I did it. Um, the uh, uh, I don't know if this is true, but the Apple thing, the Apple programming stuff, um, is this the first time that it's like a the pipeline from company to program is that clean like mm. sony buys oh right columbia and tristar and so you maybe see a sony logo in the front of the movie but it's not since like the old days of a warner brothers picture you mean yeah no, i think netflix but even got then, to it first but 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 even then warner brothers is a company that only makes movies oh and I so see. they're oh, you mean like viacom is or ge was to nbc or something like that. yeah so let's say Warner Brothers is a company that only exists to make movies, so they don't have to worry about pissing somebody off for yeah. whatever because they're successful. I see. And then Time comes along and Time buys it. Still, Time has no brand authority over these movies now because Warner Brothers distributes them, and now they just own Warner Brothers. 
Apple TV feels a little like the first time. There's no, there's not as much of a channel oh, between I the see. people who make your products and then make your movies. Like they made products first and then made movies. I think that's why you get a little like everybody's like, oh, the gentleness of Ted Lasso. I think it's a byproduct of sort of corporate. Like, I will say this: they they're not going to make Sopranos like mm. that. They're, you know what I'm saying? Like, it has to fit whatever kind of the style of their products are, which is something that you welcome it. And I know most, what about Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah, but that's. I would say movies maybe are different than TV shows. Like, yeah, Slow Horses is kind of a little edgy. One thing I did notice is, of course, they all have iPhones, which you don't see as much as you'd think in movies, or at least not for a while you didn't. But not only do they have iPhones, none of them have cases. And uh, who do you know that has an funny. iPhone that doesn't really have it in yeah, case? Yeah, yeah. It's just weird, yeah. Well, regardless of my, my the conclusions I draw, I guess more the thing of like oh it's just something to think about yeah. that like the people who dis- there's just not as much separation yeah it's I, I, I can't think of a precedent right ne- yeah because netflix exists just to do content where apple creates products amazon and they're because they got to streaming before apple yeah that's true i guess amazon i don't they make their own products but even then you could kind of go like they're a warehouse yeah. distribution channel right, and I they see. take these shows in and push okay, them out like I they do yeah they're not making the the widgets right yeah interesting hmm. whatever it doesn't like i said it probably has no bearing on the actual product and it, it's me like but i just imagine if like you, you if you came in with sopranos it might be a little different yeah i'm curious i think these like in the case of snow horses snow horses it's Christmas. Um, it's one of those things that's like funded also by a British production and they call it an Apple TV original, but I don't, I don't think, I'm not sure if they show it over there on Apple TV or not. Yeah. Or I'm not sure. That's cool. Um, yeah. It's also fun when you're able to, yes, have different uh, global productions and get the goods. Yeah. And that definitely. Yeah. Um, what was your, uh, your thoughts watching, uh, one hour photo for the first time? This being well, both our first time. I, I've, you know, most of my life just to, like everyone else adored Robin Williams. But when this one came out, it was kind of like post patch Adams and Jacob, the liar and mm-hmm. bicentennial man and, or whatever it was called where yeah. I think I was also in this period of just, I didn't want schmaltz. I didn't want hackneyed kind of belabored humor. I wasn't into Jim Carrey as we've discussed on here. And it all felt like when it was, when he or Jim Carrey were doing comedy, it was just so broad. And when they were doing drama, it was so schmaltzy for the most part. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even give this a second thought. Although I did see insomnia not long after it came out and I really liked that. And it, and you know, dead poet societies was one of my favorite movies as a kid. So when Robin Williams has the right, drama director he's really amazing i mean this is uh one of my favorite performances of i definitely prefer his dramatic stuff more than i think so too when i was a kid i mean i'd see him on talk shows and he'd like make me laugh so hard but it's just not 
my yeah favorite thing. But like as a dramatic actor, and then exa- I hadn't thought about that to drain it of schmaltz is like what makes it really good. Then yeah, this dramatic to drain performance it by sh- in one hour with schmaltz photo. and with without like. Um, hand wringing the histrionic acting like that's yeah. what I was worried about I thought it was going to be this yeah Jim Carrey in the number 23 or something like that where yeah. you're like oh we get to see this actor go psycho and yeah. go to the and the fact that he it just remained a really um subdued performance and also I mean, Mark Romanek in the in the notes it said that he uh, also Brantley reached out to Mark Romanek to get confirmation that Jack Nicholson was never confirmed. So I thought that yeah, was cool. Yeah, one we of the IMDb get, things yeah. a couple times comes up is that this was written for or Jack Nicholson was attached to, and that never happened. Yeah, which if if I don't have IMDb trivia to go on for fact based movie <laughs> trivia, I don't know what I'm going to do because one of my favorite actors, Edward Fox, one of his IMDb trivia. Um, entries is claims he's never worn jeans. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get to the bottom of that. And I do. And Brantley, the bottom. reach out to Edward Fox. He seems notoriously reachable. <laughs> when he picks up the vote, he goes, uh, "Gene Factory." I'm like, oh my god, that sick fuck. His son, uh, Freddie Fox, is in Slow Horses, and he's amazing. Really? It's a slow horse after all. I know. Um, But uh, with with this, though, I I watched it and I just watched the documentary Love Has Won. Have you ever heard about that? Yes. And she's obsessed with Robin Williams. This movie about this uh, cult or cult of personality. 100% uh, cult. There's never been more of a cult. Yes, yeah. Uh, But you know what I liked about... That uh, and I want to go back to what Mark Romanek said about Robin Williams okay. him being good for this and then, part. But and then I want to go back here. to this. Okay, so uh, in this documentary, she has this cult, and she believes there's a series of people called Galactics, and she's got a poster of them, people that have passed on that she communes with. However, inexplicably, there are some people in the poster that are not dead, like Donald Trump and I think Carol Burnett. Um. But of the two, there's the saint. Rules can be bent here and there. Yeah. I forget who the saint is. So the two big people she communes with is this saint and Robin Williams. And Robin Williams. And so having just spoken watched, as a deity throughout the whole yeah, documentary. Like, like Robin informed Robin her she needs to, to move list. here. It's funny it's that there's no and, Mork comparisons because he would kind of go off and talk to <laughs> Ortho, right? Or whatever that guy's name was. Oh, yeah. Uh, Orson. Orson, yeah. yeah. Ortho. Exodor and Orson, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah that... I, I got a little burnt out on cult documentaries when they turned evil. Like, when that one about the dad who crashed in the dorm... Uh, at oh, uh, I never got through that. One. Um, I think probably, for but the he same put reason. like a little uh thing on somebody's tongue was gonna like clip it and snap it until, until they true. I'm like, when that started happening, when they started showing the home video footage of it, I was like, to my wife Leslie, I was like, I can't do this. Yeah, is, no, we, no, 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 we done. stopped on that one too. Um, but what I loved about Love Has Won, it's like the most wholesome. <laughs> cult I mean they're really especially because yeah. it's ran by a woman it doesn't then become like a uh, you're my sex slave sort of thing right. it just really becomes about people being like let's take shrooms every hour of the day and then 
listen to the most idiotic person who doesn't say one seemingly have one morsel of like depth no none <laughs> I, I think you're giving them a little credit it's by saying like it's just shrooms gift shop sweater stuff of like oh. your future yeah. lies in the jewel that is the mood it's, I mean I think it seemed pretty clear to me that they were taking meth and certainly like alcoholics to the most alcoholic degree you could possibly be and yeah. drinking this colloidal silver I mean that turns you blue the great thing about it is it's only three episodes yes. which most documentaries should and need to be at this point but yes yeah, so Robin Williams so I had just watched that and then I'm watching this and and just thinking whatever I thought of him as an actor and his arc and loved him and at times didn't mm-hmm. he just always seemed like the sweetest genuinely the sweetest man yeah like like on a Dana Carvey level where mm-hmm almost a little too meek and sweet for the world or something. I don't know. And obviously the way he ended, he couldn't deal with it and it does break your heart and it does add a level of sympathy to this character, Mm -hmm. especially in the kind of indirect reveal of what, of why he is the way he is his character, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a really nice way to do that. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can see, uh, I agree with you. You can see Robin Williams has, a tenderness and a love for people and humans. But yeah. you watch this, like the, the, and, uh, yeah, the, you know, the, the thing that Mark Romanek was saying was like, people could tell, he was like, I didn't want a star. And then Robin Williams was interested in playing something that'd be more villainous. He saw the script and wanted to do it. Um, and Mark Romanek was like, I thought it, you know, it'd be better if it was an unknown. And then I realized when the audience was watching, they felt something. I think the word he used was like explosive was underneath it. And when I read that, I was like, I guess that's true because, like, his comedy has like an out explosive outburst quality. But like, what he the whatever Robin Williams who he is, whatever you see, like whatever he brings for me was, Oh, Robin Williams is an, as a person, as an actor, whoever just obviously wants to be liked. He yeah. just wants to be a guy who wants to be liked. Yeah. And he's, I'm sure he's got a little rage in there too. Yes. Oh, know? right. 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 I mean, yeah. I'm not like denying the explosive. No, I was I, like, oh, I'm that also is true. saying like, I call him just meek and sweet, but yeah, there's a, there's a level of, but that like, like me, yeah. Desperation, yeah. even in Robin Williams, no hate, no hate, no, no, just like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very clear, yeah, yeah. To have that be the undercurrent of uh, a the guy goes psycho movie is really, uh, it's like the best use of Robin Williams. I can really kind of that's think what of. makes yeah. this movie so interesting, and maybe better than I ever thought it would be. And maybe in a way not great for this series that we're covering because this character is not evil. They're just literally mentally ill. So yeah. they're not, they don't, he doesn't really have malicious intent. Even yeah. when he goes to that hotel room, it's to kind of punish the guy to protect I, the woman. I mean, I think kid. it's perfect movie for the yuppie nightmare. Okay. Chose because I feel like it's a way to look at, you know, the way we've looked at it is like, Hey, how have they, we're going to watch them in chronological oh, yeah. order to see how they've changed over the years. Right, oh, right. Like, this feels like post-90s, the gap from Disclosure mm. to this, which is like, 
if you could say after Disclosure, 1994 until 2002 when this came out, I'd argue basically what happened is all the movies for grown-ups, the thoughtful movies became indie movies. Yeah. Or studios like Fox own companies like Fox Searchlight to make movies for grown-ups. And so whatever those fatal attraction hand that rocks the cradle movies that were for grownups there. It just had aged out or they became hackneyed. And so this just, when I was watching, I was like, Oh, this feels post indie, like a, 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 a yuppie nightmare. That's like a post nineties indie time and post post Fincher um, too. post Fincher. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and, yeah, yeah. and to the extent, like you said, he consulted Fincher. Trent Reznor originally did the score, oh God, which yeah. they did not use. But it sounds very Reznor. There's very little- Reznor. And then very, very non Reznor at times yeah. too. It really went all over the place. Kind of experimental. Yeah. The other way that it's like post whatever the normal, yuppies nightmares that we were watching too is that like it um it's calling bullshit on the uh nice house stuff yeah like fatal attraction hand that rocks the cradle they might go there's sinister stuff happening behind these beautiful homes but they're still saying like these are beautiful homes and like it's awesome that these people own these homes this one feels like post 90s where it's like we can't really celebrate materialism anymore. So it was about, oh, this guy gets so far afield because all he can see are the pictures that are the representations of they think they have a nice home and they think they look like a good family, but they're not, which is like previous Epi nightmares don't ever go in that territory because I think it was like, no, these are fantasies. It's yeah. fun to just imagine that they go to the country and right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. With Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. With Paulie and Rust. So, uh, but yeah, definitely post-venture too. I mean, post... Well, even down to the fact that Early on in the film, you get a tech procedural on mm-hmm. film developing, which up there with mission prep for me, anytime you've got like the, the counterfeiting into live and die in LA, is that the right? That's that movie. Mm, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or this, love that. I love yeah. this. I, I want to know, is this true? I always thought when you would take it to one hour photo that 
hundred percent of it was automated. I didn't realize there might be some person there going, it needs more cyan. It needs more magenta and balancing it with a, with a human touch because Robin Williams has apparently spent like two and a half days learning how to do this from an actual woman. Uh, It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, so knew the actual, the, the technique that had to be used. Yeah. I was curious too, if like somebody sits there at the, um, there and toggles it or is it like because Cy uh, the photo guy really cares like right he goes that extra yeah good good point like I bet you can do that with any one of those machines but I wonder if people ever do yeah did you uh, when did you say goodbye to the photograph and go quite digital <laughs> you know I was never a huge picture taker but so I don't remember I know that my girlfriend at the time around this time had a, a digital camera and I used to use that whenever I needed one. But my mom had a ton of those disposable cameras. Like he gives the kid in this Mm -hmm. that she would never develop. And so one year, like 10 years ago, I took them all and then I tried to get them developed like one by one for Christmases and birthdays. And I, and they're from 30, 40 years ago, even. Damn. And so, but it's harder and harder to get those things developed. I know. I was imagining like what they used to be on every uh, corner, basically, yeah. as a place that would go and develop your photos quickly. But now, if you wanted to, if you had like one of those little Kodak yellow disposable cameras, yeah. Um, I I love those. I didn't own a camera, but it was basically like, hey, if I'm going to go do something away from home that'll be fun. A disposable camera will come along. Yeah. Like from end of high school to end of college. I think it like, I stopped up until like 2003 or four. So when one hour photo was coming out, I guess they mentioned digital and stuff. Well, it's so interesting that this movie is such a metaphor for the kind of dinosaur dying out in a way, you know. Yeah, because this happening. was the year that um, Attack the Clones came out, and that was the first <sighs> film that was shot digitally and edited digitally. And, and the, the preview, the trailer, was released on QuickTime, and there were three, I think, and I remember being at my dad's in Arrowhead, and this was all digital. It was the whole revolution, waiting hours for those things to download. To see the Attack the Clones. And they uh, were this big on the screen. And they were low res. And it still took To see Amidala's midriff? (laughs) 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 To see all those lightsabers light up in that arena. But for the first time, you're like, what the fuck? A yellow lightsaber? Holy shit. A purple lightsaber? (laughs) Holy crap. Because that would be, yeah, I guess uh, a few years after that, more... What, by 2009 or 10, would you say things were shot more digitally than photochemically in movies? Yeah, probably. Because, yeah, it was Clones was digital. And then I, think I know Jason might, X was the first shot digitally movie that, but. First movie shot digitally? That was released in theaters, maybe? Really? But it came out, it was the. It was delayed or something like that, so it came out after clone. Some weird, oh. like yeah, because I remember Michael Mann getting a lot of flack for Public Enemies being shot digitally and it didn't look good. Yeah, that was all the talk. Like right around the last year of college, was like, is digital? Because we were using like Super VHS 
and then you'd get these mini digital cams, and right. that was like really exciting because it was like you could shoot stuff in the dark pretty quickly and easily yeah. and stuff. I like right. remember having fun with that, but the I remember seeing stuff like Public Enemies and being like, it seems like they're making a choice for it to look digital because I know you could at that point make stuff not it was almost embracing the digital I felt like that's like it seemed too well they have digity for me speaking of looks the way that they shot the home of the family in all these warm colors Mm, mm -hmm. and then the save mart super stark and fluorescent yeah I think I read in Brantley's notes that this I didn't I caught that when watching it but I didn't catch this that Robin Williams' home is like hell. Yeah, it's I didn't red. realize this at all. The, the store is heaven for some reason. Because of the extra fuller, they added more than what's usual in a Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> so it would look heavenly. Yes. Yeah. I guess because that's where he sees the woman he sort of loves. And then, or no, yeah, and the house was purgatory. The family's house was purgatory. Yeah. I didn't quite. I don't know how that, like, I was like, uh, uh. I should have asked Brantley, Brantley, if you're listening. This was on IMDb, but I don't think was in your notes and up there with the Jack Nicholson and Edward Fox wearing jeans. <laughs> I saw two little tidbits of trivia that the, the reason the toy was Neon Genesis Evangelion, that anime thing, was because Robin Williams was super into that and brought that toy from his personal collection. That seems like made up to me, but hey, hey. but it was weird that, that that was the toy he was into was something... Well, he was obscure. a gamer, yeah. 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 So maybe. Oh, what Robin Williams was? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. His daughter's name Zelda for cuz he I didn't know yeah, that, maybe. really? Yeah. Oh, well, well then maybe it is. I, I hope that's so. That's so funny that he would be like, "Hey, can we use my Hey, hey, I really want to use Neon Genesis. Jesus. Jesus. You got to. He only does his character voices <laughs> yeah. to And Gundam's over here going, "Hmm. Ooh, we got a really big toy." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the um with uh, Mark oh oh with the Walmart that it, yeah the Save Mart um you know in summer of '04 so a couple years after this maybe I was wearing that blue vest were you working at Walmart mm-hmm. wow I worked at the uh, um paint that's right section the house paint oh, so yeah. I'd get to put in the little dyes do do that's power <laughs> man. Um, that's power. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, cause you you're know, coloring people's lives I, and I'm driving on the street going, Oh, that house. Yeah. I mixed the colors for that. And everyone goes, what the fuck? Well, did you ever the steering wheel and pull me off the road? Did you ever pull any sigh and be like, I'm going to, this needs a human touch. I know there's a formula for this, but I'm going to put a little more cyan or magenta. And I make a little sample for myself when I go home <laughs> and I paint my wall with their color I'm like oh and now I know so and so with this color <laughs> there's a woman and her son that come in every week for paint <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it did bring back memory it is like whatever that blue vest white light vibe oh, yeah. uh, um, but also you know like I was saying I was doing a lot of those uh, disposable cam pictures do you know I have a disposable camera photo from like 2003 of when my buddies and I uh, went to uh, Des Moines. Uh, from We went from Iowa City to Des Moines to catch 
The Gallagher Show. <gasps> Did you know I ever saw Gallagher? No. Did you know I have a picture with Gallagher? No. Where we're like posing like barbershop, like me and three friends are going like, ah, like we're all. Pre- was he into it or was he? That was his idea. Oh. He's like, hey, let's all act like we're singers here, huh? And we we brought some Gallagher videos that we had to autograph. He's like, well, you got these old ones. You got to buy some new ones. Come on, guys. <sighs> Get down. You got to buy some of these new ones. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, forgive me. Did I tell you the story about like the ac- the onstage accident that I saw at the Gallagher show? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, Gallagher puts on a weird fucking show. Let me just... At that time, I've seen his his post nine yeah. eleven shows are are content wise, yes, yeah. form and content. They're bonkers because yeah, I've seen one where a kid comes in late and he spends the first twenty minutes of the show truly berating the kid for wearing baggy pants, and he's he's actually angry about it. He was so obsessed with these these pants too what, what I would really yeah like inform they're crazy because it's like a Grateful Dead show for him by this point it's like two and a half or Springsteen it's like three hours long he's lost all sight of time wow. R.I.P. R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, rest in reflection but also it wasn't material it's like by this point he yeah. just comes in and is like whatever inspires me also his doctor he's had a heart attack by this point so his doctor's like you can't use the sledgehammer, but if you say, so he does it like once or twice, but then he's like, whose birthday is it? If it's your birthday, you're going to come on stage and slash, uh, smash the watermelon. And a lot of people start going up. Law of averages. I was like, There's a lot of people's birthdays out of this crowd. <laughs> so I said it was my birthday. I went up there and grabbed the sledgehammer. Going for your free a- dinner at Denny's, huh? Yeah. Uh, smashed a watermelon. You did? Yeah. An actual watermelon? At a gallery. Oh my I got God. I didn't and- know this. Look at this. There's still magic in our marriage. <laughs> yes, still stories to be told. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you can uh, confirm this with my friend DJ Rudy. Oh, I believe when you. I hit the watermelon, uh, I just hit, like in my mind, all you have to do is hit one part of the watermelon, it goes, Kush-hush. but I just hit like a quarter, Oh no! and it went, Poomp. and then the big part just kind of like fell off the pedestal, <laughs> and I remember my friend DJ laughing his ass off, I was like, out the eye, I saw him, he was like laughing, uh, so this was after I... The accident. Real quick, were you there ironically or as... Uh, You'll never know. I, I don't want to know. No, no. Uh, you know, this is my favorite thing about comedy where I'm like, it makes me laugh. I'm, I I spend my life analyzing every, not everything, just in my head too much, too much in my head. So when I see something like Gallagher and it's tickling me, I really try not to question it. I'm just like, I'm okay. drawn but, like moth okay. to a flame. All right. But of course, he's hack. He sucks. Okay. It's okay. so fucking funny to laugh at this cloud. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. <laughs> Great. I love it. But so he brings, like an hour in, he brings out this big, um, you know, like in Spencer Gifts, the thing that would be like, you put your hand on a, Oh, a bowl with the lightning inside. Yeah, it? the little lightning. What's that called? Yeah, he had one of those, but it was like you didn't necessarily see 
the little like bolts, you just would put your hand on it and would make your like hair stand up. Okay, yeah. So he brings it. He's like, look what I found. I was like, are you traveling with this Gallagher? It's like (laughs) big. And he like wheels it out. And he's like, watch this. You know, with comics, you don't know what's bullshit. Like he's like, I just got this. So you're like, but it seemed like he was figuring it out. So, like, I think he just got it. Because <laughs> he was like, look. He wanted, he's like, I don't got enough hair. Because he wanted it to lift his hair, but he didn't have enough. He's like, somebody with hair, come up here so you can do it. So this is like, like this story. It's gone on, like, so long where he finally gets a kid to come up, a volunteer. And he's like a 12-year-old boy who has hair. And... He puts the, has the kid put his hand on the thing. His hair lightly comes up. Oh. And we were just like, ha, ha, ha. Like, we know we have to, like, yeah. please Gallagher now. Like, make <laughs> sure Gallagher just, like, yes, we'll laugh, Gallagher. Oh, Move on now. You sold stuff. your soul to the devil. And he's already, I, you know, he sucks. Because, like, yeah. earlier when he was talking about kids' pants down and stuff, he's like, Unless you're gay and you wear them backwards, meaning like uh, to help with uh, to have a sodomy. Your bo- oh. And I remember my friends and I were watching in Iowa, no hate, but all the time. You just, you find yourself around farmers, just like these old dudes who wear like farmer's clothes when they go out to Gallagher. There was this white mustache guy who we watched never laughed once during the Gallagher show, except for that joke oh. about the pants backwards. <laughs> I'm like, this sucks. Oh, I, this is hell. God. So this kid comes up and the hair lightly comes up. Everybody's like, ah, let's go on, Gallagher. And he has his microphone and he's going back and forth talking. But while the kid has his hand on the bulb, he gets the microphone close to the kid's face. Oh, no. And me and the audience and my friends and the audience around us, you saw like a little oh, charge go from the kid's mouth between the mouth and the microphone. And it zapped the kid. Everybody got real quiet. This is so weird. Like, what? where is Gallagher taking us? <laughs> what if we all signed on? And... Another entertainer who, by this point in his career, wouldn't be performing in Des Moines on like a Friday night. Uh, he's there because of this, how he handled this. He was like, whoa! And he jumped away from the kid and like was like, oh my God, now what are you going to tell the lawyers? Ugh. Oh, that mean Gallagher shocked me on stage. Okay, everybody, like... <laughs> It was like the worst. He did. Oh my like, God. He didn't even do a bit. It was just immediate. Or, or a kind thing. Like if it had been Carol Burnett or something, it would have oh, been yeah. like, oh my God, I'm so. <laughs> Carol Burnett would have never brought up again and electrocuted them. I love but, that. What are you going to tell the lawyers? Meaning, I've been talking to lawyers multiple times for multiple reasons. Every show, it shocks a kid. <laughs> I'm talking to their lawyers the next day. So. Oh, God. Oh, that Gallagher difference. Uh, too long, too long. Now. I'm Let's, jealous, though. Uh, what was um, um, my Gallagher journey? Any stand-up shows? 
Uh, not any weird ones, I don't think. I never saw Gallagher live, but my mom used to bring home Gallagher video cassettes when I was a kid, and I, they were amazing back yeah. then, you know? Well, he's not weird. He just points out the weird things people do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you uh, know, like, because um, you see comedy, like, oh, you go to a club, but did you ever go to, like, one of those theater ones? <laughs> like, uh, oh, oh, this is a comedy superstar. No, I, I had... I hate to admit it. I had the Andrew Dice Clay double album when I was in high school. That's fine. And then I, love it. I didn't go to a lot of comedy. And then in the probably mid nineties, I went and saw Pat Oswalt, Paul F. Tompkins at the original Largo wow. cabaret as just a spectator. I wasn't Lucky involved you. with them at all at that point. And, you know, like was a big fan of them. And so when, we got to a point with Supergo where we were doing stuff with them. It was a real like pinch yourself moment, you know? Yeah. What brought you to Largo that uh, just, evening? Just my friend Fred Belford would perform there sometimes, oh. but we went to see him or just went to watch it. I was just there purely as a, mm -hmm. a fan and like ready to see some good comedy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It existed in Iowa as a cool thing that was happening in LA. I remember it was like Largo, Largo, you'd hear people talk about it. I was like, yeah. Oh cool. yeah. And, um, somebody had a CD, my, my sophomore year of college, that was a uh, Dana Gould, a Dana, oh, and yeah. I don't know if it was recorded at Largo, but I remember it was my first like taste of like, uh, yeah, post eighties, not hack stand up. Yeah. And it was like, very exciting to see. I, uh, yeah. to go to, did you see anybody? Would you see like. A Zach Galifianakis or a yeah, Fiona Apple? I, even I don't think or? I saw Fiona Apple. I bet you she was there and I just mm -hmm. didn't even know it. Mm -hmm. I think I did see Zach Galifianakis. I think Blaine Kapach, mm -hmm. um, possibly Dana Gould. Mm -hmm. I, I think very likely Andy Kindler I saw. Um, and then I'm, I'm certain there were people there that I didn't even know because I wasn't cool enough to know like by sight, Paul Thomas Anderson, Fiona Apple, um, John Bryan right, was always right. there. Yeah, I well, wouldn't uh, even recognize. I think I saw Amy Mann maybe there. I mm -hmm. don't know. Yeah, yeah. The um, just the seeing people at a thing um, reminded me the first summer, second summer of UCB LA being open. Robin Williams would, you know, I think he was known yeah. for this. He'd drop in yeah. at an improv thing and do improv shows and stuff, and. Uh, there was a big controversy on the L.A. comedy message board, uh, a special thing. I don't know if you remember yeah, specialthing.com. Special of course, yeah. But it was a real generational divide. That's where Paul F. Tompkins, I think, read about Super Ego. Right on. Some, or maybe it was the best show message board. Uh -huh. I can't remember. But. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that... Uh, um, uh, controversy? Yeah. Oh, oh. Robin Williams. Because uh, you kind of were hinting at it, like, because we're, uh, you know, around the time of that late 90s, if you were a person who was cool and liked comedy, you kind of had to shit on Robin Williams. It was just par for the course. You know, now it's yeah. not really cool. But I guarantee you, any of those people, if they were there and he showed up, would just be like, oh, my God, as, as I would. And I would be glad that I would. Well, and I was talking more of the, yes, yes, performers. And I do think performers, but the audience, um, I mean, it, it was amazing. Like, not amazing. Amazing in a 
wow, this is it was like it was a group of the audience was a group of the snottiest fucking comedy fans. Really? As you can imagine, it's like Tuesday night at 11 p.m. and you're paying money to see. I mean, that's what was uh, is uh, so great about performing at the UCB is the people who are buying the tickets usually are people who do comedy and write comedy. Yeah. And so you're kind of like, you're just trying a little harder. It's, it's, you're not trying they to would, they blow the mind of somebody who doesn't normally yeah. watch comedy. You're trying to blow the mind of... And so the audience would be kind of comprised of like young, very opinionated on message board comedy fans. And Robin Williams steps out, and I'd say probably more the audience than not had their like arms crossed, really? scowling. Oh God! Wow! And it pissed off some of the veteran comics behind the stage who were noticing it, and they got on the board and were like, "What's your fucking problem? If I had been in a comedy club your age in the late '80s, and Robin Williams had showed up, the whole theater would have been on fire. You guys, there's something fucked up wrong with your generation." But it, it oh, was geez. like such a like a whoa, some kind wow. of crossroads is happening wow. here where. I bet for Robin Williams, it was probably an unlikely situation to go into a theater and surprise an audience and have them be like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like that's... Yeah. So there was, uh, I guess... Interesting. Highs and lows of an audience that you want to like who are... Yeah. Have, do have good taste. Yeah. <laughs> like, you want to... Yeah, but anyway. I, I, I don't question their taste, but like... Their approach? Their approach and just a one-time drop-in? Come on, like, enjoy a comedy legend, regardless if he's not at his full power, yep. by your opinion. And like I said, I was that way, but I guarantee you if I was there, I would have been, okay, this is awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was there that night, and I remember watching it and not having my arm. I was conscious of the people who did have their arms full. I was like, ooh, whoa, some people are really making a choice not to engage at all next to me. And do you not think friends, that's performative? Just, or, yeah, because yeah. I think it is like that's people... Gross. I get it. If your existence a little bit is like my opinions, and then the one time you're kind of out... In public, you want to make sure your opinions, I guess, have yeah. to matter. I don't know. Yeah. But um, I remember watching and being like, oh, this isn't my f- flavor or whatever. But yeah. I remember just being able to enter whatever that zone your brain can do where you're just like, I've seen this person on screens my whole life. And now to see them like how their skin is moving and like that is That's interesting crazy. enough. Like, yeah. who cares? Like, <laughs> like yeah. I was... So stoked that he was there, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, you like Dead Poets Society, though. I think that's like a... I, I, that movie meant so much to me as a young man, and and it still does, to be honest. And I don't know if it, I don't know how much the movie resonates. Probably wouldn't much to people that age if they saw it now, but I can't see it outside of that context. And it's mm-hmm. just the music, the setting. Yeah. I mean, it's... Well, you're uh, making me realize, uh, you know... I like me, I'm sure, you know, like a little sensey boys, little For sensitive sure. boys. Yeah. I got to say, a movie like One Hour Photo having a sensitive oh. boy who in the third scene goes, I'm sad because I'm thinking about how Sai doesn't have friends. I was like, oh. That was amazing. It's amazing because I love kids do do that. They do say that. I'm not trying but, to like shoot my own horn, but I was a kid who did 
that quite a bit and it, I carried things like people's totally it totally would, man I, I, I it's, oh. it's and it, you can say even like and it wasn't from an altruistic place it no, was just it like I had it was painful melancholy pain yeah, yeah. sadness I didn't know what to do with and the idea of like there's a person and I can kind of they're just a nice container for all these sad feet like yeah even that is like something yeah but to have that but it also makes you kind of go like the person who makes this movie has that feeling too and yeah. so you just feel compassion the other time i felt it was and i knew this wasn't like a edgelord sub fincher movie <laughs> was when that guy was like hey when sai was leaving and his old co-worker was like sai uh can i just say something he's like what and i was like in a Fincher ripoff movie, the guy would be like, did you save any of those uh, titty pics yeah. for me? It's like, oh, everybody's a shit. Everybody, yeah. you know, the person who made this is a um, misanthrope. Mm -hmm. But when he said, thank you for showing me how to do my job. And then that begins that walk where he goes through and he goes from feeling happy that person said it to being surrounded by these like, real product cereal boxes and yeah. then turning a corner and seeing like a real hello kitty and then by the end he like unlocks the thing and takes a knife huh. that was like my favorite part of the movie i was like that was a real journey yeah. i went from like these are not just somebody's like mean spirited view of the world it's two people who are, have compassion and then i got to a place where I could see his despair of like pulling a knife out and stuff. It was good. Yeah. Was the last so many minutes, it just got a little too sloppy for me. Well, though. Can, can you answer me something when he finally gets those pictures at the end and they're not pictures of anything prurient or sexual, not even the people. Was it just, he was trying to scare them and that he was in fact just taking pictures of objects in the room. It wasn't clear to me. Am I stupid? I don't think you're not stupid. I, I think earlier he said something like nobody ever takes pictures of objects or something like that. Nobody ever takes pictures of things. They always, it's people or animals or, and he, he takes like a, you see him like take a photo of a thing. And I don't know if it's in his house yeah, or their the house. Hotel room? Motel, but it, yeah, it just seemed more kind of like a, and I guess he's a guy who takes pictures of things rather. The the only twist, it's not even a twist. I was just like, the way he put it out, kind of like he was in that room. I don't like this theory. And I don't like it when somebody has this theory. <laughs> but I did think like, oh, or does it suggest he always knew he was going to get caught eventually and be get in trouble with the law with what he was doing. And so he was preparing like what he wanted his cell to be <laughs> like, he can lay that out and then just like go to that place. Oh. Like he'll have his objects around him. So it'll be like, I'm not in my home, but I have all the pictures of my objects with me. That's a stretch. Is I that your theory? Or is that's a theory you, that was the theory I was oh. saying like, I don't think it's this. I don't like it if somebody had this theory. But w when I saw it, he was putting them together. I was like, are we supposed to think he's recreating? Yeah, I was just le left cold by that because it felt like not a reveal, but a kind of 
I don't know what, like some kind of, well, now mm-hmm. you see what this all means, kind of, and I did not. Well, and the Fincher connection to that, too, is Zodiac also ends with a cast member from ER <laughs> who talks to the, uh, like, as a one-on-one sort of interrogation with a person of, like, can we get a clear answer from you? Because it's Anthony Edwards and Zodiac. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know David Fincher has said he cast Anthony Edwards because he was like, you don't have a lot of time to do exposition about a character. But he's like, I know everybody, uh, people love Anthony Edwards. When you see him, he seems like a person you can trust and there's nothing shady about him. And so you don't want Zodiac to be like, oh, something up with it. So you just can't cast. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that came a few years after. I was like... Eric LaSalle is like the detective in this, like yeah. also a yeah, cast right. member of ER. Is that just like the way to do it? Is George Clooney played a lot of detectives well, it's, too? You take a slight risk because I never watched ER. I don't think I've ever seen an episode. So my whole impression of Eric LaSalle is his character from coming to America. Yeah. I, mean, source. I don't think I ever watched the full beginning and uh, episode of ER, but I've watched Coming to America a lot, and I love his take to <laughs> the camera. <laughs> of all the John Landis takes, that's a pretty good one. Hang dog. When is the take to camera? When he comes over, you know, he's just a, a, a cat. He's just, he wants uh, the family's money. You know, he's just a bad guy. And the, the punctuation of like what a bad guy is, when he realizes he can't get with the girl he like turns to her horny sister she's like you're wet i gotta get you out of these clothes and he looks at the camera like well should i or what what is happening okay (laughs) well we get a a a little baby jim rash in this i know yeah having to you know, do the character actor thing of playing the per yeah. when, uh, uh, cause what's his He's Twitter a- handle? Uh, Jim Rash is TV ugly, which Aww. he seems the best. Yeah. Like, he seems great. Truly seems like to be one of the bright lights in this world. And it's, it's so damn funny. By any account. Yeah. So damn funny that anybody I know who knows him just not truly not a bad word. But uh, I guess that came from, and you can tell that it's a, a good person with yeah. a sense of humor. He had overheard somebody once say, they're like, well, what about him for this movie role to play an ugly guy in a movie? And they're like, no, he's TV ugly. Like, there's a distinction between ugly in movies where it has to be kind of glamorous. <sighs> like, that's such a funny fucking, fucking arbitrary. Like, fucking brutal. <laughs> but when I saw that, I was like, Oh yeah, the guy, the secret porn perv guy who comes in, but uh, brutal. Uh, who else was uh popped up there? Clark Gregg. Yeah, Clark Gregg, Eric um, Lasalle. Um, well, is it Matthew Vartan? Is that his name? Is that the husband? Yeah, he was in Felicity or, or? Alias, I think. Alias, okay. Maybe he was in Felicity. Uh-huh. Too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't um, know him. It, and the, Gary Cole. Yes. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. Very I good. like Gary Cole a lot yeah. of that. Um, also, I relish actors getting to use jargon that we'll know nothing about. It's like, well, it's interesting because the D6 oh, yeah. inputs the clicks. are all, the clicks are all yeah, there, yeah. the output is 200% more. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah! 
jargon. Jargon, baby. Another cameo in this film, Lacey Park from San Marino, where the, the game was that he goes and meets the kid at, is uh, a park we go to occasionally. Wait, not the one we've ever done the... No, uh, oh. that was San Rafael Park. But the soccer game, that was also a kind of a yuppie nightmares rule yeah. breakers, yeah. which is like they're doing the workaholic dad... But it's not even told from the perspective of him showing up at the soccer game late and being like, sorry, no. son. He's just like not there. Yeah. Um, the uh, uh, where Where's that park? San Marino? Yeah, it's called Lacey Park. It has a World War II memorial. It's a big park. It's really nice. It's in like wealthy San Marino neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really cool. San Dan Marino. San Dan Marino. That's the wealthiest part. It's like, that's where the Miami Dolphins money went. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I uh, um, I saw that this is um, Killer Films made this, mm-hmm. which was like a cool, is a cool indie film company like based out of New York. They've done like a lot of um, uh, Todd Solins mm. and Todd Haynes, Haynes movies. And I... I won't say my friend's name who worked there because I don't know if this is necessary, but uh, I had a friend who worked there at the desk for Killer Films. They were like, hey, um, occasionally you're going to get a call from Todd. They're going to say it's Todd. Don't ask which Todd it is because uh, Todd... Haynes and Todd Solins. Yeah. Both work there. Todd Haynes doesn't mind you asking which Todd he is, but Todd Solins does. So just to play your bets, if anybody else calls it and says they're Todd, just send it right to the, you know, the head of the company. Like, don't ask who it is. Even if it's his third Todd? There could be a Todd Phillips is Todd Bridges around there. Yeah. And uh, my friend said they called and the person said, hi, it's Todd. My friend knew the rule, but didn't hear him say Todd. It was just came out like, hey, power or, you know. Oh, no. And he went, who? What? Like, it was like. Uh, Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. But that's not why I didn't hear your name. God damn it. I know the rule. I know the rule. Uh, Uh, Tots be touchy. Yeah. You don't, you you, you only want to be the one Todd in the. There was in the scene where I think it's when Robin Williams goes into the hotel room and confronts the two paramours. He says to him at one point, go, you got the picture? Meaning like, do you get it? Do you understand? But because this movie's so much about photography and stuff, I thought he was literally going like, I'm here. Do you got the picture? <laughs> like, give me the picture. I'll, I'll, the developed picture. The uh, directorial uh, sort of like uh, metaphor or whatever the movie had. Like, yeah. oh, he treats it like an artist and stuff. The thought, one that I thought was, um, you know, Mark Romanek comes from that generation of... Um, Commercial directors, music yeah. video directors, propaganda films, this company that David Fincher started, mm-hmm. that uh, Michael Bay was a part of, um, basically Spike Jones, anybody who got one of those cool, like, 
their own DVD of music videos that would oh, sit yeah. on like film nerd yeah. shelves and stuff. You could pull them off and be like, "Ooh, Mark Romanex videos," and I love them. They're cool, and I remember recognizing his name on like the closer video. I'd be mm-hmm. like, "Ooh, Mark Romanek, cool sounding name," but um, he. Um, you know, David Fincher, the the reason they said the one thing that kept him from getting like totally pushed over with Alien 3 was he had already like made his millions with propaganda films because they do contract like uh, whatever, like an ad agency. Yeah. So it's basically like whatever they recoup in money just from people paying them to make their cool uh. shit. And since he owned that, by the time he was making Alien 3, he was already like a millionaire. Oh. So he wasn't in this pinch. And Brantley Palmer's notes also said, yeah. Mark Romanek has only really made two movies. He has a lot of projects. It seems like he's willing to walk away if the movies never fit his parameters. Yeah. And there is something about that generation of directors who did commercials and make a lot of money with commercials. They then they don't make junk. It's yeah. kind of a yeah, thank God luxury to walk <laughs> away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the uh, what made me think of the the point was like when he was like doing the wanted to take the sexy photos, and the people weren't into it. But in his mind, he's like, I know everything about camera lighting, technique, <laughs> uh, get you know, making sure it looks like a well composed photograph. But these actors, they don't look like they're into sex at all. She's crying yeah. and like he's like, get together, make it work. And I was like, it almost felt like Mark Romanek's observation about <laughs> directors who worked in commercials, yeah. music videos, and then it's time to finally like talk to the actor. Yeah. And then you're like, What is it that's working? You're all sweaty, you guys don't look like you wanna fuck. <laughs> like, uh, uh. It's like, yeah, at the end of the day, you gotta learn how to talk to your <laughs> yeah, actors to get the performance you want. Yeah. Hear that sigh? I thought maybe this whole thing at the end, the whole climax, was going to be a dream. That another one of his fantasies, that he never went into the hotel, and that he never did it. Yeah. Because it... I said that too. Or that he went in, but he never did anything horrible or Mm -hmm. something, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it did feel like it was like... um, Maybe because some of that stuff felt fantasy. Yeah. I did love the, like even though the cop stuff wasn't my favorite and I did think it would be a funny, like what if it was like a funny crossover where the two cops at the end are like Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman as the seven detectives. Oh yeah. Like we got to get on this case. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's do it. Even better. Clark Gregg and Eric LaSalle in seven as your main (laughs) Which is what I've always wanted. (laughs) Oh my God. Give me that. Uh, But the, so that cop stuff wasn't my favorite, but when he was getting chased through that parking structure and that music, I love that, man. That was good. Um, And just to um, make, you know, it's not fatal attraction where the stuff itself is glamorous and it's then photographed glamorously. Yeah. Like this was just all like, Walmarts yeah. and parking structures, uh, ugly things, and to see them like somehow be photographed in a way that they kind of looked uh, like weird modern art or expressionistic. Robin Williams himself, just the way they dyed his hair and kind of cut his hairline back, and oh yeah, when they yeah. catch him at the end and they. Sp- 
the first time maybe with his glasses off and they shine that bright light and it's just all yeah. blue lights and blah. And I was like, this is a filmmaker is making this yeah. because if somebody was just making a movie, they'd be like, and then they catch him. Like the idea of like, that was a moment when you finally see his face up close and, uh, you know, yeah. Right. The, um, I, uh, the thing that like you were saying the kind of like r- reveal, it seemed like he was, uh, as a kid, experienced He's sex a, abuse. Yeah. And then I like the, it was a light, you know, it wasn't too spoon feedy. Yeah. That you definitely. go, a little goes a long way with that stuff that he wanted to, he identified another bad dad. Yeah. He's like, I had a bad dad. I see another bad dad. I'm going to take that bad dad out. Right. Which I liked that explanation or whatever more because I was clocking like, oh, there's no sexual interest in the wife. Or, or it, it's more of a desire yeah. to be in her lifestyle, not necessarily have... Well, that's what felt real about it, is that yeah. you didn't get inside his head in a way you would not get inside someone's head mm-hmm. in real life. So maybe that was there. Yeah. But more, you're probably right, more likely it was a childhood kind of longing yeah. for love, affection, and and identity, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, I... I you know, like I, I, I didn't finish this thought before, but you can't compare it to Taxi Driver. But the scene I kind of wanted in a character, like a lonely person's character study movie. You know that part in Taxi Driver where like Travis Bickle asks out Sybil Shepherd. He finally gets a date. He takes her to. He's charming enough to get a first date, but then he takes her to a porno movie, and then she's like, "Oh, why you're a creep?" Like. Having some moment of seeing, does he try to connect with people mm. and can't? Or is it people try to connect with him and he recoils? The Deepak Chopra book moment, wasn't that? I guess it was false. But I guess it, I would want it to be um, not the object of his... Like not the person he's really kind yeah. of pursuing. It, it it'd be like, and I don't mean to like write a, a different version of a really good movie, but like the person who works at Save Mart who wants to be friends with him outside of the workplace, and he's like, no, because you don't have a glam. Like, just the movie wouldn't have to spell it out. You just go, oh, is it because that person isn't glamorous? Yeah. He like wants to live in a glamorous world, or he does have a friend at work and then he goes up to them and wants to ask them to hang out or go on a date and he fumbles that and you're like, this is why this guy's lonely. Yeah. He can't make it happen or when it starts to happen, he gets in the way of himself. I just was sort of like, that explanation that he had that traumatic childhood, I was like, okay, he's just kind of closed all doors down and that helps it. But seeing how he relates to other people outside of the the people he's after. I just, I guess I was a little curious about And then he, he is a little movie trope, lonely guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other, even the glasses. Yeah. And then the other thing, the movie trope thing that I just was like, didn't like was, uh, that wall of photos is just too like art direct too like, 
I know he's a tidy guy, but I don't think he would make it look like a New York art gallery installation piece. My biggest complaint with that would be those work lights. You'd think someone like him would have a little bit more. Yep. uh, I don't know. That felt just... It was too psycho, it, like, yeah. not the movie, but just, like... Too murder too, board. Yes. Yeah, and too, like, for the convention of a movie. Like, it'll look cool to have yeah. a... But I think a guy like that wouldn't... It just felt too That's movie like, psycho. I, I watched the Pelican Brief the other day, <laughs> and the protest signs in that are so over-designed and... You know, there's some you can get away with where you feel like some organization is handing them out to people, but even the ones that are supposed to look hand drawn. What were they like? Oh, I I wish I could remember. Because they're probably crazy. It's about like release the files about (laughs) Delorno. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? I know what what are people protesting? uh, There's a bunch of things. There's like guns rights. There's abortion. There's all this stuff. So it's just oh. There, it's whoever's opposing these two Supreme Court justices that get murdered. I forgot that was the premise of the movie. How does it hold up? I like it. Mm-hmm. It's just a, you know, corporate intrigue, political thriller. It just hits every sweet spot for me, even though maybe the movie's just okay. <laughs> but that's kind of what I want from those movies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, a lot of those um, movie brat 70s filmmakers, like, they each got their own, like, Grisham. Yeah. Pakula. Pakula and Robert Altman with uh, The Rainmaker. And then uh, Coppola. No. Who did The Firm? That's uh, Pollock. Pollock, right. Pollock. Yeah. Yeah, they really did. Because if you made those kind of cool drama thrillers in the seventies and stuff. I was like, Hey, that's a, yeah. Um, yeah. Joel Schumacher, I guess not, but they, it was definitely, um, a time to be alive. I'm at a time to kill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm out of notes. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I am too. Oh, Oh, um, real quick, just a few things. Um, trash TV, which was before a yuppie nightmare trope. It was like, Oh, they're, Oh, These yeah. yuppies, they still have to deal with low rent stuff. Now it's video games. Yeah, the kids playing right. some fighting game. Well, will you put that away? We're rich, don't you know? <laughs> um, quick, you know the big box store versus. I just want to for us to have a share love for because I don't think we have uh, Matthew the department store. Oh. Don't get me started. Wasn't the department store like just to go to Fuck. Babylon? It's it's heaven, and I didn't even realize it because I I was very little in the heyday. There was still like the tail end yes, of, we of the majesty. Our, I know, yep. And then I saw the decline, yep. and then I've seen the dearth, and I've always wanted, if I kind of like had unlimited money and no career responsibilities, I would buy something like the Macy's on Lake Street in Pasadena, which used to be, um, I think, a Bullock's, but it's super deco. It's gorgeous. And I would clear it all out and hire artisanal vintage vendors to run the stores, dress in period like salesperson clothing. That's good. And act like it was a department store from the 50s. Right on. And, And so it would be like 
bespoke tailoring or, you know, houseware and all that stuff would be in there, but it would be like, You'd come family in and portraits. you'd be greeted, family portraits, yeah. hair salon, yes. uh, optometrist, everything, like a true department store. But then the other day I went Christmas shopping at Vroman's. Have you ever been to Vroman's bookstore in Pasadena? It's, it's not, <laughs> it's just as much a gift store as it is a bookstore. Uh-huh. And I thought like, I haven't felt like I'm in a department store in years. This feels like I'm in a department store because it's not huge, but it's big. It's not as big as a department yeah. store. But you and got the department store hit. You do, because there's like a greeting card section. There's multiple gift section. There's a stationary section. Yes. There's candy. I've been there. Yes, I know what you mean. Well, the candy thing, that's for me, um, what makes a department store is the classy kind of center candy aisle with the individual like scoops that you can put in bags. Yeah. Ours in our town was called Spurgeon's. (laughs) And uh, last night, um, guess what I watched fully from the beginning of Gremlins. Uh. (laughs) I was watching Gremlins last night. The the department store, he goes by the candy section. And I was like, oh, I want to talk about department stores gorely because they're just such... I don't think we had candy in our department stores. Really? I... I don't recall that. Yeah. Because every mall had a C's candy out here, so... Yeah, no, it would be like the... There'd be the kids' clothing section, the hardware section, the, you know... uh, This was our... J.C. Penney's had a thing. It was similar to the perfume counter, I guess. It would be like one person kind of manning like this glass enclosure, and they'd help you get the candy and stuff. And I get like the chocolate star kisses and stuff. Well, the Macy's in New York is still pretty decent in the Mm. Saks and the Bloomingdale's, but the department stores in Japan, if you've ever been. No. Incredible. You've been? Yeah, I've been once. Are they like uh, from... The different the day, era, yeah. but they've survived and they thrive. And there's like two floors of food and like little, all these little, it's not a food court because they're all these just like little sections and mm. you can get all these amazing individual That's foods awesome. and there's like eight floors. Damn. It's, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. But one thing to Macy's credit is they seem to have absorbed Toys R Us and they put a toy department back into their stores which that was the first thing to go from department stores toy departments were big when I was young and oh. then they disappeared it made the department stores like why yeah. are you dragging me to this place with clothes and tools and perfume and <laughs> that's where I remember that. getting so many mask toys at Mervyn's <laughs> the, I, I, I mean I bring this up because it's like the big box store is a pock on yeah. A pox? Pox, yeah. It's a pox. Yeah. It's multiple it. pox. Yeah. It's not just a pox. Yeah. It's, it's many Each pox. one is a pox. And, uh, uh, yeah, they're chicken pox. Yeah. And, uh, um, but m- most of all they are because they're like bastardized versions of the department store. Right. They're just like cheap fucking, if a department store was in your garage, like... <sighs> Let's go through and name department stores one at a time and completely bore our listeners. But because I bet you there's some regional ones that I don't know of that you know and that I would know that. Well, J.C. Penney's. Okay, Sears. You'd already take it. Uh, I mean, Spurgeon's. Broadway. Macy's. Uh, Bullock's. I'm out. Really? Yeah. Buffums, Hinshaw's, Gotts Chalks. Uh, did I say Mervyn's? The Boston store. Um, Whoa! Uh, Robinson's. Hint, did I say Hinshaw's? Yeah. 
Um, uh, so these are all places. Finkelsteins are all like they have floors, and you. Go they to- were then. They were often, you know, started by one man. That's why they're like that person's name uh-huh. or a family or something. Yeah, yeah. Charlie Neiman and yeah, Danny Neiman Marcus, Marcus uh-huh. Saks Fifth Avenue, Bloomingdale's. Um, Bloomingdale's beats them all just with that font. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I want my epitaph to be re- written in the Bloomingdale's is font. It like bubble body or something is like that. that. What it's bubble called? body light or something like that. It's yeah. like the Mr. Mom font. Mr. Mom font. What's the Mr. Mom font? It's that thin, kind of classy, like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sophisticated. Yeah, big in the cocaine. 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there's no best kill. No. Best uh, thrill. I mean, unless you count that one photo negative that got sliced halfway through. Yeah, I guess if I'm picking best thrill, it was the moment when the family started walking through the door during yeah, the daydream. Me too. Like, Is he going to get caught? What's happening? To her? Yeah. Um, I did wonder if the guy who does the one hour photo has beef with the like family portrait guy at Sears. Oh. Cause that's like the classier version of the, right. Like that's some Amadeus, um, Saliari. Yeah. Show. Yeah. Hey, when you're done with those family photos, I could develop them for you. <laughs> we have our own people. Yeah. Thank you. Sai. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> uh, the, um, I liked that, um, size way, and finding out later that he probably had a, a bad dad. Uh, I had a good dad. We had good dads. But I like that size way with the cop and the dad of the, the patriarch. He, like, flatters them. Yeah. That's, like, how he lets their guard yeah, down. I was like, yeah. smart move, yeah. guy. He's like, you're a great man and a good father. And they're like, well, thank you. Out of the jailhouse you go. <laughs> Into my house with my family you can come. Thank you. Um, that. Oh, good food court shots. Yeah, it's two separate food courts. I Put together up. through movie well, magic. I don't know because they go to two food courts in the movie. I'm assuming they were two different. Food, but why? Uh, but it would be the same food court, right? Because in the movie, they're in the same mall. I think so. It was yeah. the Topanga Mall and the Canoga Park Mall. I think. The Topanga Mall. I no. I shot something in a mall, and my scene got cut. Like this Comedy Central show, Halfway House. Oh. I think Mikey Day was in it and stuff. It was like 2005 yeah, or 6. Familiar. And me and Neil Campbell, we went down and shot a scene and then never existed. Oh, but I was like, bummer. I think it's the mall, the Jackie um, Brown mall that mm. we filmed at. Uh, Not sure. But um, I saw a TikTok of the Los Puentes mall. I know. I got to get down there for mall walking. Because it's not long for this world. But they have all the... It looks clean. Yeah. And they have the lights on and the neon lights on. Like, it's just sad that it's empty, but at least it looks good. Yeah. So, I was talking about this, like, with Leslie. What happens in, when a mall is... Is it become a, an apartment building? Like, when they tear it down, where... Because we were watching Back to the Future, and it was like, he has the farm... They tore down the farm and made it a mall. But now we're like, now the malls are getting torn. Like, it ain't going to be a farm. Future I'll four, tell you that. What is it? What is yeah, it? Apartment building? A server farm. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they usually just demolish it and then probably put up like housing or something. Yeah. Do you have, but you went there. That was like a. That was a. 
grow, when I you was, were growing up? Yeah, three malls in my area. The Brea Mall, the Woodwood Mall, which was super close to me. It's gone. And yeah, Puente Hills Mall. And I would see a lot of movies there. And <laughs> bought my first computer near there. Oh, man. Yeah. It was like, I don't know, a 10-minute drive to get there. Oh, but Brea was the nicer. Ride? No, because it was over a big hill. Mm. Brea was the nicest of the three malls. And probably Puente, but man, what would it was a small mall, but it was my mall. It yeah, was a block the, away. I lived a block from a mall. So lucky. With Vicky's Toy Town and Toyland, and well, then later neither, but KB Toys. And then a stone's throw away, really, from Disneyland, right? I lived about a half hour from So Disneyland. a stone's throw away from uh, Yeah. <laughs> the JCPenney, I may have told this before, at my mall had a cafeteria and you could eat at JCPenney. What? Yeah. Like they had a deal with another restaurant or they no, like JC Penny cooks. These were back in the day when there was no like licensing. There was no independent contractors. It was like JC Penny's was a government institution and did all its own things. It had a tire center disconnected from the mall that you could go. Whoa. And and yeah, like it had all the portrait stuff. It had all that. My aunt Rosie, I take her to get her hair done. She can't drive and she gets her hair done at JCPenney to this day at the Montebello Town Center. Whoa! Yeah. And, uh, but this JCPenney had had a cafeteria right next to the toy department and I, I'm sure I've mentioned this but I got trading cards for Empire Strikes Back and it spoiled that Han was frozen in carbonite. Right. But I still didn't know what the hell that meant so it wasn't really a spoiler but I saw on the action figure of Han and his snow parka and i'm like what's the context of this what's going on i wanted to try buttermilk there but my mom's like you're not gonna like it and i said please because i thought it was like butterscotch and it wasn't she let me have it and it was awful did she ever taste buttermilk 5000 no she hasn't buttermilk 2000 2000. but maybe one day (laughs) well those are my notes man okay well let's read some xenos and then we'll rank this some bitch all right Here we go. Okay. Um, oh, whoa. Brantley's, because he's watching the streaming, already emailed and said, according to the BBC, the claim that he's never worn jeans appears to be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> this is heaven. <laughs> Source. Edward Fox, the comp- consummate actor. Let's do it. Never worn jeans? A find. Now I think he's a bad actor. Look, there's a whole subtitle, No Jeans. jeans. Fox has a reputation of his dapper and well-spoken, almost Edwardian on-screen persona translating into real life. He admits he still wears the suits he donned for Edwards and Mrs. Simpson, even though he knows it makes him seem fusty. But he is proud of the fact that he has never worn jeans, adding, I won't won't wear shell suits either. What's a shell suit? What's a shell suit? Is that like an old-timey submarine like the thing with the oh like a diving bell yeah, suit I, I don't know is shell suit like an off the rack suit or something he has also confessed that his womanizing ways have caused upset to his long term partner actress Joanna David mother of Amelia he once controversially said he did not think a man's fidelity was a matter of much importance and that a woman cries and having cried a little bit she bores herself and it's over oh, why is this in the jeans subheading <laughs> Uh, I think opinions about fidelity should have its own category under, oh not under God. jeans. I love this guy, and and I say that with you know certain asterisks. Yeah, because he's he's like a fusty old conservative. I think he's like a bad actor. 
Like you, if he's not wearing jeans, he's not open to having oh, right. different experiences of life. Like he can't ever play a character who likes to wear denim. Your your theory is flawed though, because he's a wonderful actor. Oh, well, okay. Maybe you haven't seen Force Ten happen, from Navarone. He also played M in the knockoff Bond movie. Oh Jesus. Okay. Yeah. I didn't. All right. Oh well, we've only got four Xenomorphs. Hey, all three. right. Okay. Um Miles DeFonseca, all he wants is my award-winning toilet flushing impression. It'll never happen. Sorry, Miles, you should have asked for something else, but you've been shouted out. No, you wouldn't do, do it. No, I can't. I, this has come up before. Oh. It involves water, and it's not good, and it was more of like a verbal setup that won me the award, and so it just I've just never done it I since. see, I see, I see. I've retired that. That's good. I respect, respect. <laughs> Oh, Daniel, uh, we messed your name up and we got um, what might be, is it, doesn't want to come off angry. Oh, hey, we're so sorry that we mispronounced that. Yeah, we accidentally, uh, uh, oh, Danielle. We called Daniel Danielle. Oh, yeah, sorry, buddy. Uh, hey, Daniel Baranowski. Got it. Got it. Dylan Irwin. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, this is. I've I just realized the live streamers, the camera behind me. I've been like, uh, showing you with your my butt. butt. Yeah. Um. Oh wait. Oh. Hey. No, we covered. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh. This is great podcasting. Stephen Hill. Oh yeah. Hi, Stephen Hill. We call you Stebby. It's a shout out to your pug. And then your pug's name is Bowie or Bowie or Jim Bowie, who did the knives. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thank you. Uh, Xenomorphs, baby, baby Xenos. All right, Paul. Much appreciated. Out of 13, what are you going to give? Ooh, I got to hear those previous rankings. Okay, I'll give them to you. All right. Four, after hours, we both gave it a 12. The Bedroom Window, 6.5 from me, 7.5 from you. Bad Influence, 9.5 from me, a 10 from you. Shattered, 8.5 from both of us. God, I forgot we watched that movie. <laughs> Single White Female. Much like the amnesia Tom Berenger <laughs> experience. Oh, it's not Tom Berenger, friend. He's dead. <gasps> oh, my God. It was it was that guy. Gobo. <laughs> Single White Female, two nines. The Temp, two sixes. Disclosure, a 6.5 from me and a 7 from you. What are you giving one hour of photos? I think it's going to match a similar number. I'm picking 10. 10. It's going to match. What does that match for you? Uh, Is it? Forget, sorry, buddy. Oh, it's okay. It was because uh, After Hours is 12. Yeah. And... Uh, and when single oh, white female was bad nine, influence, yeah. So I like it as much as bad influence. I'm gonna give it a nine. Number yeah, nine. That feels right to me. Yeah. Well, hey. that concludes our 16th season. What of with Gorley and Russ? That's so cool. I know. I think uh, now we can right. drive a car. Oh my god. Up next, the Hannibal series. Mm-hmm. I think it's five films. Is that right? Yeah. So what are we talking? We're talking Manhunter. Mm-hmm. And Umar Ditta will be joining us for yes. that because he's, uh, I think he was just, 
It's just it's just his favorite movie, I think. Super fan, yeah. man, hunter fan, super. Hmm? Hmm? Is that all right? I was trying to do like super fan, man, hunter. Oh, that, I get it. Good. Superman fan, hunter. Superman fan, hunter. Uh, and then Silence of the Lambs. Right. Maybe our first best picture winner we'll ever discuss on the pod. Or have yet? Is that right? Wait, no, Kroll. Um, I wish. Uh. <laughs> and then, if, if they're uh, doing it right, H- Hannibal. Yeah, then Red, Red Dragon. Dragon, then Hannibal Rising. Yes, which I've never seen. Me neither. And I've seen all the others. Yes. I've seen Hannibal once. I saw Hannibal once. I may be looking forward to that one the most for some reason. I am too. I am it's too. Pulpy. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's the one just that I'm um, least familiar with. Except I, how can you forget Ray Liotta's skull cap scene? Oh, boy. And and Gary Oldman, I think, too, right? As the, like, wheelchair-bound burn victim? Yes, yeah. So the, and a, a, a cameo, I think. Isn't mm. the definition of a cameo, like, it doesn't even, it, it doesn't even, its name isn't even in the credits? That's a good so, question. So when like in a if you're watching the end credits of something and they have a section like cameos, it's like, well, you're defeating that's the opposite the definition of cameo. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. There's does, cameo, there's unbilled, and there's Canadian cross. Cause like F. Murray Abraham isn't credited in Bonfire of the Vanities, but that doesn't seem like it's him like coming in for a fun cameo. Same with Kevin Spacey in Seven; they're just hiding that. Right, right. Uh, mm. Um, we'll get back to you. Yeah, we'll get back to you guys. But hey, uh, in the meantime, enjoy the uh, Twelve Days of Christmas. And yeah, we don't have an exact date for when we'll be back, but it'll be sometime mid-ish January. I think yeah. we're gonna take some time. And a uh, top five uh, uh, part fours. That's right. And 12 Vidbits of Christmas will be up mm-hmm. there, plus the mailbag in early January. So stay subscribed to the free feed if that's where you live, or on the Patreon if that's where you belong. Yeah, well, we love y'all, and yeah. uh, uh, happy end of 2023, and uh, best wishes with 2024. Everybody. Seriously, man, it's been a year. Let's let's ring in 2024. I mean, let's enjoy the end of 2023, but I'm ready for Hey, you know, I was of- stressed out yesterday. Just end of the year stuff. Got to do this. Got to do that. My mind's here. My mind's there. Sitting down and just watching Gremlins really helped. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> like I was like, but at 40, 40 minutes into it, I was like, I had a moment where I was like, I forgot everything that I was stressed out about. And I was like, good. Keep it going. Oh, and then I just, that's good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I did the same with the Pelican Brief. I haven't been able to do what I used to live and breathe for, which was just a late afternoon movie on the couch. And I, I somehow was able to do that the other day. Beauty. I felt like myself again. Me saying beauty there too reminded me we got to talk on the twelve days of Christmas about the um, the um, strange brew guys doing their version of twelve days. Of Christmas. Oh yeah, that's, like, right. hey, that's a beauty. Well, we're gonna do that right now. All right. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to Patreon.com/slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash withgorleyandrust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com, and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. 
with Corley and Russ theme song by me, Mac Wood, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Corley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candymans. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.